0: Well, we're starting a series, and uh, we're talking about uh, your spiritual life as a journey. And today we're going to talk about resisting the draw of spiritual tourism. Now, let me introduce what that means. Uh, Easter is always a big point in people of faith's life. Uh, There's a real big buildup to it. And after Easter, it's sort of like, well, what's next? You know, that was really exciting. That was fun. And, you know, there's always that churches are full on Easter. But it's just like any big time in our lives, there's always the next day after anything that, that's a big event for kids, Christmas, graduation. And the truth is, after Easter, just like after graduation, there's the rest of your life. And what spiritual tourism is is this mentality that my faith is like being a tourist. I, it's something I do uh, occasionally. Uh, it's something I do that I fit into my life here and there. I take a short trip uh, to a tourist spot, church, uh, conference, uh, you know, some sort of an event, a concert. And, uh, and then I come back. And so it's like you're really back where you started. Uh, secondly, a lot of times it's going to certain spots. When you go on a vacation, uh, when people go to France, I mean, you can't see all of France in two weeks and so you hit a few spots. But uh, there's two kinds of vacationers. There's people who go on vacations and they go to, typically to the same spot or a couple of places that they really are familiar with and they like over and over and over, right? Or there's people who just buy an open and open a ticket and they just journey. And they go here and there and everywhere. But both those kinds of people eventually come back. Now, there are people who look at vacations as a way to enrich their lives. And, and, and vacations do enrich our lives. I mean, getting away from the, the busy schedule that most of us live itself is helpful because we need to recharge. And so don't mistake this as some you know, uh, negative against tourism or vacations or anything. It's more of, the, of, of a mentality in terms of our relationship with God that I'm talking about. So, tourists tend to do what they're doing occasionally. It, they fit it into their lives, it's, it's a break, it's, it's an opportunity to get away. Like, uh, it's something that we wedge into our lives. You know, people have a hard time finding time for vacations. And then they go, like I said, to certain spots, and they come back. And they also, uh, largely people will say that uh, my vacation is about me being entertained. And so those three kind of attitudes are really something that is a big part of the way people view their faith today. And what I want to show you is that the, the, the metaphor for your faith and following Jesus is not tourism. It's being on a journey. Now, you may think, well, that kind of sounds like the same thing. It's, they, there are similarities, but there are real distinct differences also. And I want to look at those, looking at the life of a, of a man in the New Testament, who we know about, know something about, and I'm sorry I gave Mary the wrong verse, uh, but it's the same story. It's just a different gospel telling this man Matthew's story. And in Luke chapter 5, We have the story of a man named Levi, or Matthew, as, as he's known. Oftentimes, uh, characters in the Bible had two different names. Uh, and Levi was a man who understood something about what a journey mentality is versus what a tourist mentality is. And again, spiritual tourism is something that's it's really easy to slide into. Because I think it's much more the way that people all around us look at faith. But it really stands in sharp contrast to what it means to follow Jesus as a journey. And a, and a journey has, again, has some similarities to tourism, but it has some real differences. And want you to see here in this story of, of Luke, uh, he tells us about Levi. So in Luke chapter 5, verse 27, let's look at this for a second. I'm going to read the passage, then I want to pray for a minute, because this is one of those passages that, it's really interesting, I mean, there's a lot going on in it, but uh, what I want to say about the journey is real simple, it's really, 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 really simple, but it it, it is, at the same time, too, it's going to, to challenge you, it's going to draw you out of your comfort zone, because following Jesus on a journey is not meant to make you feel comfortable. There's, other, there's another goal in it. But it's something that brings life to you like nothing else can. So we just need to pray for God to help us. So let's read in uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Luke starts and says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, ...left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, at Levi's house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples... ...why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them. He must have overheard the question. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So let's pray. Lord, uh, we want to follow you, and we want to understand uh, what that is all about. And we thank you that you're still calling people to follow you, that you you still see us, and you know our name, and you see... uh, the stagnancy of our lives and that emptiness. And you, you call us to follow you. And we, we just ask that you would open that up to us today and show us the journey that you're calling us on. And just give us a simple understanding of it and, and how to participate in it. And uh, we ask this, Father, in Christ's name, amen. So, like, like a vacation, a, a journey has a beginning, it has a way or a path, and it has a destination. The difference between the beginning that we see here is Matthew, or Levi, is not going to end up where he started. Now it wouldn't have necessarily been wrong for him to continue to be a tax collector. There wasn't anything inherently immoral about that vocation. But Jesus had plans for him that were going to take him way, way, way further than he would ever experience life as a tax collector. The journey, though, that Jesus takes us on, he calls us to, it has a beginning. And he describes in this, this beginning. And it says in the story that Jesus saw this man. He saw, he saw Levi. Just like he sees us. He sees us. He notices us. He's aware of us. You You ever been somewhere... Sometime you might just be sitting in, you know, like a big uh, restaurant area and you have this weird sense of someone looking at you and you, you turn over and there's someone staring at you. Isn't that, does not that ever creep you out when that happens? Okay, I guess I'm the only one. <laughs> but yeah, Jay, thank you. Thank you. I, I, yeah. <laughs> Jay, st- Jay likes to do that so it doesn't creep him out. Uh, Jesus looked at Levi, and he noticed him, and he saw him. And the thing about Levi was, because he was a tax collector, you saw the reaction. He was, an, in, in, in that culture, he was an outsider. He was an outsider. He was not part, a welcomed, warm part of the culture in the community, the Jewish community. He was outside it because they saw his job as something that oppressed them. And so they hated him. But Jesus doesn't... I mean, it wasn't that Jesus doesn't... He, he, he does observe social distinctions... ...and he does observe moral distinctions. But he doesn't let those stop him... ...from bringing his kingdom to people. And it does a lot of times us, unfortunately. And so he saw this man... ...and he saw someone that mattered to God... ...and he wanted to communicate that to him. But he also wanted that man to discover there's something about his life that he could never know if he stayed there in his tax-collecting booth. And he wasn't. it doesn't say, like Zacchaeus, he was a rich man. doesn't say he was famous, anything. He just had this job, and he was despised by people. And so Jesus called Levi to follow him. And you'll, you'll see if you read the Gospels, this is a, a regular occurrence. And in fact, this is another way of Jesus saying, will you come and believe in me? Will you come live for me? Will you commit your life to me? But he was using an idiom that Jews would understand in the first century. Rabbis had followers. There were lots of rabbis who taught the the religious way of life to their disciples. And Jesus was using his way of training and he was patterning it after this rabbinical model. But he also tweaked it so it was different, because the disciples sought out their rabbi. So you picked, just like a good American would, you would pick who your rabbi is. But Jesus turned the whole rabbinical method upside down. He picked his disciples. They didn't pick him. In fact, he said that to them. You didn't choose me, I cho- chose you. And to us, as you know, to us as good Americans, that's kind of off-putting, you mean, he chooses us? I mean, he's the one that calls the shots? Yeah, he does. And, you know, go down that rabbit trail, but he he got Levi's attention because Levi had, like a lot of us do, when we live a certain way and we get branded with an identity, good or bad, that becomes who we are. Other people define who we are. And then we just begin to fit into that mold. But that's never what God has for us. He always says something way, 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 way better. And the path out of the mold that the world would squeeze you into, and that even you allow it to squeeze you into, is following Jesus. But here's the thing. If you're going to say yes to Jesus, you have to say no to the world. Do you understand? You can't say yes to God without saying no to what you've been loyal to before that. Because Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. There's really only room for one master in each of our lives. And the world around us is a demanding master. It demands and it offers rewards, but it takes so much more than it gives us. But it does give us something, and so we, you know, we cooperate with this sort of transactional way of living with the world around us. And yet, our lives are punctuated with moments where we go, I'm sick of this. I don't like this setup. That I don't like this. I, I read a story recently about a, a, a young mom who come to faith in Christ... And uh, her husband had several small kids. And her background really troubled her. She, her. Her mom had been a prostitute, a call girl. And she was born through one of her mom's uh, engagements with some John, some stranger. And this, this young mom, this just troubled her so much. Because she felt, one, like she was just an accident... And then two, she always wanted to know who her father was. And so she went through this period of time in her life where she was just obsessed with this, and, and she pestered her mother, and she was trying to find ways of, of figuring out you know, who her mother might have slept with and, and track that person down and meet him. And of course, there was no way that that was ever going to happen. And, and it just it, it, got, it, it was to the point of, of seriously... Stressing her and her family out, and one day she was at home, her, her, her husband had taken the kids somewhere, and she' just in her kitchen washing some dishes, and she began to cry out to God, "Why won't you let me find my father? You know, I don't want to be this person. Uh, I don't have a father, And she's just yelling, and, and she she finally stops, she's crying, and she hears this voice, a literal voice behind her that says... I am your father, I've always been your father, and you're not an accident. And it was the voice of God, it was like that, if you've ever had, I've never heard God's audible voice, but I've had God speak to me in a way that just brought me to my face, because I was overwhelmed with you know, God's greatness and his mercy and love or some aspect of who he was. But I've had a few people tell me, when they've heard God speak audibly, it's like in the book of Revelation when John said he heard God's voice and it shook, him, it shook his bones. And it's something like an earthquake. If you've ever been in an earthquake, it's, it just shakes everything. And she turned around and there's no one there and she knew it was God. But she, said from, she started weeping. From that moment on, God had defined her in the way she had wanted, but beyond what she had wanted. Because what would it really have given her to find that man? There's some need we have to find where we come from. But that man could never have given her what her heart needed. She said from that point on, the desire to resolve that was gone, and the sense of who she was, and that she had a father, a father in heaven. And it just, something was settled inside her. That's what God offers us. But usually we have to get sick of some aspect of this this little deal that we have with the world. That I'll let you run my life if you keep giving me something that I need. Well, Jesus always comes along and he says, follow me. And look what Levi did. It says, Levi got up, left everything and followed Jesus. This is the pattern. And Jesus said, this is what is called repentance. And Jesus said, Levi, you didn't know, but you were sick. And he wasn't making a, 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 he wasn't using a slang term, a moral slang term. He was using a metaphor and saying, you were spiritually and morally broken and sick. And you needed a doctor, and I'm the doctor. And repentance is you turning to me. It's you recognizing this life and this Broken master servant relationship you have with the world is ruining your life. And maybe at that moment, Levi was just, there was some aspect of how sick he was of letting the world define who he was that he was in touch with. And Jesus walks by at that moment and he knew who Jesus was because this, where, where Levi uh, operated and lived, was an area that Jesus just saturated. And there was the talk of Jesus everywhere at this time. And so man, this wasn't like a, a, a kind of a drive by discipleship hit. He, he didn't speak to a total stranger. There was already some uh, reasonable amount of knowledge that, that Levi had about Jesus. But it says Levi said no at that moment to his old way of life and started following Jesus. Boom. And our journey of following Jesus has a beginning, but it's not something we come back to. It is the starting point from which the rest of our life is launched. And so you can see that in in his story here, and it's not an inconsequential moment. Now, sometimes, like what Mary said, we may have a, a quieter encounter with Jesus where we say yes to him. Because a child, their life is very simple. And even a teenager. But sometimes it can be very dramatic. And so what's happening though is dramatic. We may not experience all of it, but it's something we're supposed to unpack the rest of our lives. What God does for us when we say yes to Jesus. It's like a spiritual zip file is given to us And we click on it, and it starts opening up. And more and more and more is available to us. There's all these folders. If I could use this comparison. And we click on them, and it opens things up in our lives. And it will take our desktop becomes full at that moment. It takes the rest of our lives to open that up, but it starts at that moment. And the writers of the New Testament, and Jesus taught them, to stress this, that when you say yes to him, you're passing from death to life. You're passing from darkness to light. You're passing from the power and the control of Satan to God's control and God's power. Now, you may look at that and go, well, sometimes that's really dramatic, like Easter is dramatic, but how how come the drama doesn't continue? Well, the next thing that happens is, when... Jesus stressed to, in that little phrase, follow me, there's a beginning, there's a way, and there's a destination all in that phrase. And the beginning is start following me. Then the way is to follow Jesus, the person Jesus, Jesus' life, and Jesus' teaching. But it's a process It's, Jesus says, follow me. He's saying, this is a dynamic experience, Levi. You're going to follow me around the way that he had seen rabbis travel throughout the community and their disciples follow them and receive lessons along the way. And he's saying, this whole faith walk is a walk. It's a journey. And it's not, it, it isn't just completely composed of really powerful moments here or there. It is the whole of life that God's in, in, in interested in and involved in, not just a few moments. See, tourism is about going to certain places at certain times and certain events. But a journey is all of it. It is that event. See, it's not either or. As my, my friend Rich Nathan, has, he wrote a book recently called Both And. It's a great book. And he makes this point that we, we have these false choices that we are presented in the church. It's either or. And the kingdom of God is, is all, so many times both and. There are dynamic experiences and events and things to do but there's just as much grace in what looks ordinary and quiet. Now, some people are oriented towards ordinary and quiet, and they need a lot of extraordinary. But some people are spiritual thrill junkies, spiritual thrill junkies, and they need a lot of quiet and ordinary. We need both. It's not either or, it's both and. But to do this, to do this journey, you need this. You need to get this. It's about following Jesus the person. It's about following his lifestyle and his teaching. And you have to learn to become attentive to him. If you're going to follow someone, you have to be attentive to them. They have to be your focus. That in itself, there's a whole set of skills about that. And people who've gone forward in their faith in this journey further than you, that's their job. They're around to help you learn how to do that. But you also not just have to be attentive, but you need to be obedient. Because if you're following Jesus on a journey, he's going somewhere. And what we like to do is we like to go to places where we're comfortable, right? Think of all the restaurants that that you go to. There's probably... A pattern of restaurants that you go to. You even rotate them, don't you? Right? Uh, oh, I'm tired of going to this one. Let's go to another one because I've worn out my, you know, taste for uh, kung pao chicken. And you know, now I now I need an enchilada or whatever. But you know, we don't stray too far from that. And I mean, how many people here eat out of food trucks? Raise your hands. Uh, see? See what I mean? You guys, some of you guys, do you need to experience food trucks? Now, I had someone tell me this week yeah, I I experienced a food truck about a month ago, and it took me about a day to get over the experience. (laughs) And not going back there again. Well, there's there's a lot of interesting food in the food truck world, but it's great. But God's going to take you places that are outside your comfort zone. And see, when you're following Jesus, it's about obedience. You're not in control. When you say yes to him, you say yes to his life. He becomes a center in the focus. We could explore that. You hear that a lot regularly. I won't go that any further there. The other thing that you need, not just attentiveness, not just obedience, you need patience with the process. Because when you're on a journey, you could be like the kids in the back of the minivan on the way to Florida, from Ohio. What is the question that drives their parents crazy? Yeah. Let me tell you, as the parent, one of the parents driving the vineyard van, it is hard to hear the, are we there yet, question over and over and over. Because that's not the perspective we need to have, the journey Now I know the whole thing breaks down because how exciting is it sitting in a hot van when, you know, your sister is putting her hand like this right next to your face? You know, he's putting her, she's putting her hand next to my face! Ah!" You know, I know you guys do that to one another. I get the emails. But the journey, the journey is full of God's presence. When you read the Bible, it is the, 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 the message you get consistently is the whole earth is full of God's glory. I have a friend who, one of the ways he helps people get in touch with God is he says, I want you to go out in nature, and I want you to pick something up that, that's, that's, that's God made, you know, not a human manufactured object, and I want you to spend an hour just looking at it. So you could pull a... It could be a stem. It could be a leaf. It could be a bug, a, you know, a ladybug. It could be a flower. It could be a rock. It could be a, a little clump of dirt. I want you just to look at it for an hour. Now, you may think, oh, what a waste of an hour. We, trust me. When you look at something that God's made, the wonder of creation starts opening up to you and then it won't take you long to wonder at the one that made it and there's something inside you and you begin to realize that's all around me and i don't see it because i'm when are we going to get there kind of a person i'm a spiritual tourist and i'm frustrated that i'm not at that exciting place yet well We have to become patient with the process. We do. Because God does so much in our life over time, far more than what he does in these crisis moments. Those are crucial to it, but it's the walking them out that's important. And this is the thing that's so needed in in our perspective is, and this, this takes us to the next point, is the destination. We, we are going somewhere, but everything we're doing along the way is wrapped up in where we're going. Now, you may think, well, I'm going to heaven. It's not about heaven. The message of the gospel, it's a, the, when you hear people say, uh, do you want to go to heaven? Jesus never, ever said that. It's not that it isn't important. He was over and over saying, do you want to let heaven into you? Do you want to see the age to come break into your life now? Jesus brought this age to come, this perfect age that everyone's looking for. He brought it into our world now. And we can begin to experience it. We're called to a journey of experiencing the age to come over and over and over and over. In more and more substantial ways. And if we we will embrace everything that God has, everything he wants to use, more of the fullness of what he wants to use becomes real to us and becomes available to us. But it's a journey. And it's a journey that has a beginning. Now, the destination. What is the destination? One of the truths that's hard for us to get a hold of is that every single day of your life, you're being spiritually formed. You're either being spiritually formed into the likeness of Jesus or a worse version of yourself, depending on who you're following. If you're following this broken, bogus world, I don't mean the world, I was just talking about nature, or all the good things that God's made. Government isn't all bad. Work isn't all bad. Family isn't all bad. But everything's broken. Everything's flawed. And this, the world is a system that God one day is going to replace... ...because you can't pull the, the wheat out without... ...the tears out without tearing up the wheat. And God's going to come in and he's going to start over again. That's one of the messages of the gospel. And that he started judging the world at the cross. The, the judgment against injustice in the world started... ...at the cross where Jesus was crucified. But when he returns... He's going to take that judgment that he took, and he's going to impose it on all injustice and evil and everything that violates his will, wherever it is and whoever it's in. And so the destination... uh, I want to read you a quote from uh, Robert Mulhall in, in Invitation to a Journey. He said, Every thought we hold, every decision we make, every action we take, every emotion we allow to shape our behavior... Every response we make to the world around us, every relationship we enter into, every reaction we have towards the things that surround us and impinge on our lives, all of these things, little by little, are shaping us into some kind of person. We are being shaped either into the wholeness of the image of Christ or a horribly destructive caricature of that image a worse version of ourselves. As you get older, you don't get better. You're not a bottle of wine. (laughs) You're going to be a worse version of yourself or you're going to be like Jesus. That's all there's going to be at the end. That's it. That's the sheep and the goats. That's the wide road that leads to destruction and the narrow road that leads to life. Because here's the thing: the the conforming process God uses. Paul talks about this in Romans eight. Here's what he said: He said, "If you," Paul said, "If you follow Jesus, this is what God promises." We don't know how we ought to pray. I'm sorry, I got the wrong verse. Uh, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Another way of saying, those who are following Jesus, God promises he's going to work for good in their life through everything in their life because he's sovereign over everything. And when he says all things, he means all things. Not just the pleasant things, not just the stimulating, exciting, interesting things, but the dull things, the hard things, the painful things. All those things. And if we won't follow Jesus into some of those things, or through some of those things, we can't find His power that can change us working in our lives. Because if we won't embrace what He has for our lives, then we're choosing what the world will do to us. And it will just make us a worst version of ourselves. And so... Jesus comes along and says, Levi, do you want to be like this forever? Or worse? Are you happy with who you are? And of course, this is all implied in the follow me. Do you understand? This is is implicit in the invitation to follow him. But God says, I am in control of everything. If you will follow my son Jesus... This is what I'll do. I will work in all things for your good. For those whom God knew beforehand, he predestined to be conformed to the image or likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God has the power to change you more and more into the image of Jesus. Or you can choose to just become a worse version of yourself. Those are are our two destinies. That's it. It's a stark contrast. I told you before, spiritual tourism just brings you back to where you were. If Jesus isn't the one whom you've said yes to after you said no to the world, if he isn't the one that you're preoccupied with, his person, his lifestyle, and his teaching, and that you're on a journey to pursue him, and that you're being patient with that journey, and that you're being attentive to him, and you're being obedient to him, and you're being patient with yourself and the journey, God, then what you're going to find is you're not being conformed to the image of Jesus, which isn't always pleasant and easy. You're just becoming more like yourself. And that can feel good. Do you understand? It feels good to get my way. Doesn't it feel good to get your way? Is there anybody here who thinks it doesn't feel good to get your way? But is it, well, just, we're grown-ups here. Is it really good to always get our way? Have we really gone very far, even as adults, from the kid who wanted dessert before dinner and had a parent who said, no, you need to eat? Your peas and carrots and the squash and all the stuff that's good for you. Or no, you need to do your homework before you go out and play baseball. Or whatever, imposing on us something that wasn't our will. That's the all things Father, heart of God shown through responsible parenting. But we're still those kids who want our way. And God appears to us in this ...and his son Jesus and says, you know, if you'll follow me, I won't let you become, despite your best efforts, the worst version of yourself. I will conform you. I will use everything around you to make you more like my son. And, I mean, if, you, if you've ever taken any time to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just see what Jesus is like... you got to say, that sounds like a good deal... It's just so easy to, in a, in a shallow way to say, I want my way. I want to be a spiritual tourist. And a lot of people come to church and they, they pray a prayer to accept Jesus, but they never, really, they never really get it that what we're praying when we say, Jesus, come into my heart. We're not praying, Jesus, come into my heart and, and be another cool vacation for me that I kind of go to for a little while and then come back to my real life. No, we, when we're saying Jesus, we hear him say, follow me. And we say, yes, we're saying, Jesus, save me from this crazy desire that's so fixed in me to get my own way because I'm going to become the worst version of myself unless you save me from myself. That's really what you're praying when you ask Jesus into your heart. Now, you may not have prayed that. You may have prayed, Jesus, I just want you like I want vacation. you got to sort that out. But if you're a follower of Jesus, the the, the lure of spiritual tourism is always there. And you have to understand, this journey that you're called, what you're called to is a journey of following Jesus, not spiritual tourism. We We have to really settle that because the pull of spiritual tourism is... Man, the marketing on that is incredible. Jason, don't use it, but it's incredible. Thank you. Just say yes. Thank you. It is. It pulls us in. But we'll just go back to where we were. We'll have a little excitement, and we'll be entertained, but we won't be better people. And Jesus is trying to make us better people. He's trying to make us and conform us to, to his likeness. What he's like inside us. So, I don't know, you know, if you guys, if this has preoccupied you at all over your lives, why you tend to find yourself going back to where you were and then go, what am I doing at this tax collecting booth? Do I really want to stay here the rest of my life? And and maybe you've gone away from that for a long, long time, and you're following Jesus, but all of a sudden you find yourself back. What am I doing here again? That tax-collecting booth has some attraction to it. You just don't go back there for no reason. But that's a picture of the world and this broken, bogus system that just draws us back. And so you have to say yes to Jesus over and over and over and over after saying no to the world. You have to say no to the world to say yes to Jesus. You can't say yes to Jesus and yes to the world. It's, you can't. That is not a both-and possibility. So moving forward after Easter for the rest of your life, arm yourself with this vision and mindset of what it is that you're about. You're about a journey. Not spiritual truism. Following Jesus is a journey where you started that journey by saying no to the world and yes to God through following Jesus. You said yes to Him being your focus and preoccupation. And then you said yes to becoming like Him. To being changed through whatever means God wants to use, the all things part of it. And I think there's some of you here, this is the, the struggle that you're having. And I want to pray for you as we close right now. You are here and you've never said no to the world. You prayed a prayer to ask Jesus into your life, or some you know, version of that that we use in churches. And it wasn't explained enough to you what it was that, that Jesus was calling you to do. He wasn't calling you to spiritual tourism. That's what you thought. You thought, well, this will be cool. I've always been a spiritual person. And now I can kind of, you know, Jesus is kind of cool. I don't, know, I don't have any friends that are into Jesus. But Jesus wasn't saying, come and follow me and be cool, and be hip. He was saying, come and follow me and die. <laughs> because you're going to say no to the world. And that's going to get you on the wrong side of some people. That happened to Levi, Right off the bat, did you see that? He had a party at his house, and immediately people started getting cranky about the fact that Jesus was hanging around with all the, the, the partying people there. And the, the religious people didn't like that. And you're going you're to get pushback. You're going to feel internal pushback. But have you said no to the world? Have you said no to this bogus world system? And what it says about you? Like that woman who felt like I'm a nobody because I don't know who my dad is. All of us get defined by the world. Don't you want God to define you as one of His beloved sons and daughters? And secondly, some of you, you have, you've got to let go of the "Are we there yet?" instant mentality. That's part. I mean, it's always been there. It's, it's. You know, years ago when someone figured out how to uh, make candles quicker than they'd been made before, and it it helped people uh, live their lives and enjoy their lives more. Uh, The race towards improvement was on. And we live under the pressure of of, of demand. And we feel it inside us because it's all around us. Because some of us, our jobs push it, push it, push that at us. But you can't do that to God. He's not going to produce someone in his image in a moment. It's going to be a lifetime. And will you embrace that, this lifetime journey, and not give up when it hasn't changed overnight? Don't give up. Don't give up. And last of all, will you just embrace the fact that God will use some hard things in your life, really hard things, To to form the image of his son, the likeness of his son Jesus in your life, will you embrace those things and trust that he will use everything around you, your whole life, and things that are even outside your life that you don't even know about? But when they come into your life, you can't imagine how could God ever been involved in that. I can just tell you, after many years of following Christ, now I'm surprised that that I'm surprised that I still am surprised if that makes sense. So wherever you're at in one of those, I just want, before we go, I just want you to acknowledge I'm struggling with one of those things, or all of them, or two of them. And I I just want to pray for a second for you. And this is just your acknowledgement. If, if, If one of those things speaks to you, and you want to respond, just saying to God, God, that spoke to me. Just stand up where you are now. We're going to pray real quick, and then we're going to dismiss everybody. So go ahead. If saying no or the journey part Or the, I want to become like Christ and not just become a worse version of myself. And I'm willing to let God do whatever he wants, however he wants. Okay, let's pray. Thank you. Lord, thank you that you see us like you saw Levi. And uh, we're grateful you see us. We're grateful that we matter to you. And thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to us to call each of us to follow Him and that through Him we could know You, Father. Our hearts are warm by hearing the story of that woman who heard Your voice like we can hear Your voice. Not audible, but through Your Word and by Your Spirit in our hearts. And that we could know that we matter to You and that You're calling us to Yourself and You, you long for us to know Your love and You long for us to know you're our Father, and that we matter. Lord, help us to say no to the world, say yes to this journey, and yes to your, your promise to make us like your Son. Each of us struggle with those challenges in different ways. And Jesus, you can, you can give us the grace we need for each of those challenges. And so we look to you. We call on you, Jesus. We call on you, Jesus. See our need right now. Have mercy on us. As as the the church has prayed for 2,000 years, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of David, have mercy on us in our struggle and meet us and grow us. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for this beautiful day and our, our time with you, uh, we just ask that these words would now, like good seeds, go into our hearts and begin to root down and begin to produce fruit. But with your help, we, we thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do. In Christ's name, amen.